Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden, and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, Dr. Jessie Hooley is a 78er and was part of the Transgender Liberation Coalition in the 90s, a story she'll be sharing with you on this podcast. Jessie went on to an academic career teaching sociology, and having retired recently, she has devoted her energies once more to trans activism, as well as to watercolour painting. Enjoy. Back in 1983, Roberta Perkins published a wonderful ethnography about transsexuals in King's Cross. It is still a prized possession. I was in my 30s as I read her study. Twelve transsexuals revealed their lives to readers, as I'm doing here. Roberta's book spurred me to meet her at the Prostitutes Collective where she worked. She was very courageous and made a massive contribution to decriminalisation of sex work in New South Wales. She was an inspiration when existing as transsexual was dangerous, still can be, and we were under attack by everyone. Roberta helped me to transition. After transitioning, I resigned from teaching, advised by a psychiatrist that my life would be hell to continue. So I lost years of superannuation, eventually had to sell my house and buy a small unit. I worked as a cleaner. Then I retrained as a social worker. I graduated from the University of Sydney with the University Medal, but discrimination prevented my employment. So I joined the Transgender Liberation Coalition, the TLC, Tender Loving Care, in 1992, and I became an activist. The anthropologist Margaret Mead said, don't believe that a small group of people can't change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. Indeed, it was a very tiny movement. A gang of four, basically, formed the core of the TLC. A.D. Griffin, effectively the leader, Norrie, me, and Nadine Stranson, who joined in 1994. Differences over tactics and strategy were few until we later had a falling out. Adie and I clicked because we both read Judith Butler's queer feminist book, Gender Trouble, and we incorporated her performative theory of gender into our respective writing and activist projects. Hers for a column in the Star Observer and mine for a PhD that I began after multiple job rejections. It's called Queering Gender Identity. Later, I recognised problems with Butler's appropriation of trans women for her own purposes. A.D. Griffin was Irish and witty. I recall her reply to Philip Adams' question during his late-night live radio show. He introduced her with his gravelly voice, saying, "'Tell me about your gender journey.' "'Well,' A.D. said, "'I came here by cab.'" 
We also used wit and irony to turn the tables on psychiatrists. I asked Aidy to join me at the annual Gay, Lesbian and Bisexual Psychiatry Conferences held in Sydney in the late 1990s. No transsexuals had been included until then. We delighted in presenting papers attacking psychiatry's constructions of trans women as pathological and disordered. We challenged and confounded psychiatrists who endorsed the disorder model. And I hope we educated them on various feminist theories of gender. The TLC, under Lady 80's leadership, decided to include all trans people under anti-discrimination law, irrespective of any medical intervention, and enable everyone to obtain new birth certificates. The latter aim failed due to discourses of biological determinism or essentialism. We must finish the job that Aidy and Norrie began so courageously and provide birth certificates to all who self-identify as trans. Nadine and I used research that I had done to persuade Upper House New South Wales politicians to support the anti-discrimination bill. We argued that transgender people had existed in some form across a worldwide range of cultures for thousands of years. We approached Alan Corbett of the Christian Better Future for Our Children Party to gain his support. Ah! He was known for his opposition to corporal punishment of children. I had known him fleetingly at school. He was a tough negotiator, but he was a kind man. He sat gazing at Nadine and I and said, now tell me, why do you think Christians should support legislation outlawing discrimination against you? We sat in frozen silence. Nadine, who lacked a Christian upbringing, looked at me with alarm. However, I drew from my Protestant education and a very good book by liberal Archbishop John Spong. He claimed that much persecution of homosexuals arose from self-rejecting, fearful, closeted homosexuals within the church. Crucially for Spong, it was character, character, not sexuality or gender that matters. So I had prepared to reply to Alan using Spong's arguments, refuting passages condemning homosexuality in Leviticus as outdated prejudice and assumptions that homosexuality is a moral choice that Jesus associated with social outcasts, and so on. Spong, you see, refutes all biblical claims condemning queers. He also claims that Jesus opposes the physical abuse of children. Very important to Alan, and to us too. We told him about sexual assault rates of 60%, and assault rates too, of trans women, about ongoing violence, high levels of unemployment, which left few options but sex work. Alan, unlike Fred Nile and others, supported the transgender bill, knowing that it could only enhance our lives. And on a piece of paper, I found this quote that I'd written from years ago. Spong had written this, love expands human compassion as it transgresses categories. We left Alan's office and Nadine expressed relief. Now comes the bad part. We of the TLC, Norrie especially, were publicly subverting gender norms, shaking up transsexual normativity by refusing to pass as women in public. 
sometimes called genderfuck. Looking ambiguous one evening, I was bashed near my neighbourhood. Fearful, deeply traumatised by that and by also dreadful prior conflict within the trans community and hurt by multiple sexual rejections, I went into the closet of denial and wore a mask of normalcy. I did stick by my gay friends. I hid, though, behind university work and disappeared into my artwork. I became solitary. Years passed. Then, while caring for a bereaved friend who underwent a terrible tragedy and hearing another friend's nasty comment about a post-operative trans woman friend of mine having mutilated herself, this distressed me deeply. There were a series of things I can't elaborate. But I had a psychic breakdown. I stopped painting. Painting had been the one safe place, a sublimation. In trauma, you evacuate your body. I was frozen, stuck, numb. I was nobody and bereft of sexual desire. My body and sense of self were estranged, my memory impaired, suicidal, unmasked, undone by the unconscious, I woke upset from a vivid dream, a bolt from the blue. I was in denial of my transsexual subjectivity. As I dealt with earlier traumas, including from an all-boys boarding school, a wonderful therapist and friends, some of whom are here tonight, supported me. And then suddenly I made a momentous decision. I saw that my happiness depended on me being recognised as a woman, not expressing playful gender identity. It wasn't subversion of gender norms that I wanted or needed, and the momentum was unstoppable. I reclaimed the womanly self whom I lost amid the hysteria of the earlier trauma. I reimagined, reinvented, and re-embodied myself by doing yoga, writing a narrative of my existential crisis, and lots of exercise. My body had remembered a rejuvenated, stable, relaxed, womanly self eventually re-emerged. I felt quite comfortable and reassured to be a better version of myself again. Full of joy, I transformed my wardrobe. I read copiously, Freud, you name it. I volunteered in the trans community again and spoke at conferences. And I was re-sexualised. I sought boyfriends and enjoyed myself. At a party, I met Natalie, a friend with whom I had taught briefly in sociology at Sydney University a few years back. Hi, Natalie, I said. How are you? We spoke of our work together for half an hour. But she didn't recognise me. And then she mused about how good and helpful Jessie Hooley was as an academic colleague. But Natalie, I said, I'm Jessie Hooley. <laughs> so, and then I started painting again, and I'm still doing it. But along the path, three comrades were lost. The stress of living amid prejudice can kill you. Nadine Stranson, Vale Nadine, a talented, smiling, witty, wonderful advocate who died in 2016, aged only 53. She lived life to the full. Vale Adi Griffin, a canny leader and a strategist 
who died at only 67 in 2021, whose ideas for New South Wales law reform were revolutionary, and Vale Roberta Perkins, who passed away in 2018, whom I owe so much, who looked after me after I was bashed. I've lived through a historical period that produced a shifting perspective for trans people. Our focus is moving from medical to social concerns, from identity to rights issues. Limited legal and social reforms are insufficient to achieve material and legal justice. Systemic inequalities persist. Levels of full-time employment for trans people are 30%. Only 16 of a survey of 800 report never having experienced discrimination. Public sector provision on Medicare for gender-affirming surgeries for those who choose it is absent. And self-identification via statutory declaration needs legislating soon. Until Roberta's towering presence and the TLC emerged in 1991, transsexuals or trans people, however we call ourselves now, were generally reluctant to politicise what most saw as a very personal and private issue. Today, I've been inspired by the young trans women activists such as Sophie Cotton, Charlie Murphy, Eloise Brooke, Jackie Turner, Jamie Bridge, Tilly, Maeve Larkins, April Holcomb and others, courageous and intelligent advocates of change and change for bodily autonomy. You are fabulous. The future is yours to make. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, share your favourite tales on the socials and follow Queer Stories on Facebook for updates. You can also follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.